Hello, RiderFlex Nation. Steve Urban here again from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. We provide career advice and job interviewing tips on this podcast. And if you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes. So on today's RiderFlex podcast, we have John Bostock, the co-founder and CEO of Truman's. John, how you doing? Doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to talk today. I have loved your work and loved our interactions and just really appreciative of you having us uh, with you. You bet, man. You have a really cool story. Love your story, matter of fact. That's one of the reasons I wanted you on. Before we get into Truman's, tell us about John, right? Like, you know, where did he grow up? I don't know. What what his parents do? Where he went to school? Stuff like that. You know, I, I think it's a great question because I think when you think about the way people were raised, it oftentimes informs what we do later. My uh, right. parents uh, were were children of immigrants, came to the uh-huh. United States, and really had to fight hard to make it work. And, you know, you take my grandmother as an example. She migrated to the U.S. Uh, through really an unbelievable story through Russia and then Japan and finally made way to the United States and stories like that really not only inform kind of how we look at life, but also it helps us develop an appreciation for diversity of thought and people from uh, all backgrounds. You know, for me, I think back to not only what she contributed, my grandfather contributed to to the world, but, you know, for us, we're lucky enough to be born here. I've now um, built a really cool company you know, so much has come out of that ecosystem that supported them uh, when they came to the U.S. during that time. So I kind of grew up in this environment that, you know, was very mindful of, of, of a different background and very appreciative of, of what we had. Um, for, for the majority of my, my younger life, my, my mom was uh, a single mom working really, really hard and um, through her own hardships uh, when she was younger, uh, she was raised by these three women who helped raise me as well. So, you know, the sum of all parts is kind of an unexpected background, one that I, I don't think you'd expect to come out of uh, an individual who spent the majority of his career in corporate America and then went and turned around and sold a company and, and then uh, started uh, his own company. And so, you know, my background, I think, is more similar to the average person who gotcha. deals with hardships, deals with I'm kind of working it, it, uh, through life and, and, and dealing with challenges. And so, you know, for me, I was always inspired by that entrepreneurial drive of making it work, seeing my family come in and like my grandfather's an example, had to figure out how to make money. So he built a clothing line and I was always inspired. Oh, really? Really? Wow. Okay. Great. Uh, cool. Inspired by things like that. And, 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 you know, it's, uh, I, I think that's what has driven me and not only driven me, uh, in a in a way to succeed, but driven me in a way to give back, and so that's kind of when you think about who I am, I, I think it's informed by those things. So, John, so you're not a trust fund baby, right? You didn't come from this rich family that just gave you all this money to start a company. Uh, is that accurate? You're just a regular guy. Yeah, you know, I I think when you think about people who came to the U.S. and and had to work very hard and and raised um, individuals like me, we were taught that we had to work hard for everything that that we earned. And and the philosophy was certainly not that you're given something. In Mm -hmm. fact, I vividly remember my grandfather saying, 
if you want a bike, you're going to have to go out and find a way <laughs> to earn money for that bike. And, and what's funny about it is, to me, it translated to a love of art, and I'll connect those dots. So I had to figure out how to make money at a very young age. And, mm. and you think about being a young kid, 8, 9, 10 years old, and, and you think, well, you can mow lawns. You could, there, there are all these things you could do. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I learned at a very young age was about scale and this idea that, you know, I could sit for a couple hours and create art and then I could sell that to my family member who's basically obligated to buy it. You know, when a, <laughs> when a little kid walks up to them with a picture and says, hey, will you buy this for 25 cents? Right, right. So at a very young age, I started creating art and selling it. And that's how um, I, my, my first target market was any family member who felt sorry for me and they would buy it. And then from there I started earning some money, but no, certainly not. You know, I think you read a lot of stories about Mm -hmm. people who are given a lot of money and a lot of money to serve as a platform. That's not my story. And and my story is built on the values that were, that were kind of given to me and then working very hard and putting in a lot of time to make it work. And I think, you know, from a founder story, I'm not a, as you can see from my gray hair, I'm not a 20-year-old kid sitting in front of you saying I had an idea in my dorm room. I'm, I'm an individual who worked really hard in corporate America, spent a lot of time really understanding business, um, and then, as I mentioned, turning around a business before mm-hmm. I, I actually took the leap and started my own. And that is the majority of most entrepreneurs. You know, I think people are fooled. You know, they they see the movie about Facebook or whatever. Or they hear, you know, there's this tech company that got funded for $30 million and the co-founders were both 24 years old. I mean, that's just super rare. Most of the time it is, you know, it's it, more commonly it's your story where you just worked your ass off. You learned about business and how to be an executive. And then at some point you took the leap and stepped out yeah. on your own. Yeah, you're right. And not only I think is it rare, but I think the likelihood of success is much lower. Mm-hmm. And I think the advantage that you and I have is we've seen cycles. We've seen business environments right. that right. form the way we think. You know, for me, as an example, when I was really young, I wouldn't consider myself to be an inclusive individual. So I was the type of person who said, I'm going to get this done. And if I have to do it by myself, I'm going to, I'm going to do it by myself. And what I've learned over time is that power is in inclusiveness and power is in this concept of diversity of thought. And so my opinion is when you've been through cycles and when you've had time to really learn what works and what doesn't work, you're actually better. Mm-hmm. You're better as an entrepreneur, you're better as a leader. Um, and so I think that you're, you're 100% right that, a lot of the media goes to the young founder, the story of the garage, the story of the dorm room. Right. Um, the reality is the most successful entrepreneurs, the most successful leaders and business owners are teachers and they're leaders who can help inform about decisions that have been made in the past that didn't work so well or how we could how we could rethink and reimagine categories. Mm-hmm. So when you so you grew up in North Carolina, is that right? I grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up in a, in a super small town, uh, Amherst, Massachusetts. I went to undergrad in North Carolina. Okay. So, and and so, why, why'd you do that? If you grew up in Mass, why'd you go to school in North Carolina? Yeah. So, you know, during, during the time growing up, uh, it was a small community. So Amherst, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. um, think of it like a, a traditional college town in New England. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a great environment to grow up in. And I actually went to a small boarding school in Vermont. 250 okay. students in this boarding school. In fact, the, the school was larger than the village that it was in. And <laughs> it wasn't even a town. So, um, you know, and, and by the way, th- this was during a time where my mother was ill. So my mother was oh. battling uh, cancer at the time. And 
So I was, I was at school uh, away, away from, from that, you know, the, the dark uh, periods that were going on there. And so I went to a very small school. Mm-hmm. I was lucky in that I was, I was super talented at baseball and I had the opportunity uh-huh. to go play uh, college baseball down at a, a, another small school in North Carolina. And so what I was looking for was I see. A, chance, a chance to play baseball, a chance to be in a smaller environment, which was what I got used to in high school. And so, you know, Guilford College is the name of the school. It, it was the perfect environment for me. And I think coming into it, being someone who was raised and I would say more of a entrepreneurial environment, it was the perfect, perfect community. Because Guilford's a very diverse community, liberal arts education nestled in Greensboro, North Carolina. So I got to be a college athlete. I got to see cool. uh, different ebb and flows of, of kind of the nonprofit liberal arts world and got very involved in the school, still am, am involved today. And so, you know, that's how we kind of made our way down there. And ironically, the reason why my grandfather chose Amherst, Massachusetts was because of the concentration of colleges. And so he imagined that from a marketing perspective with his clothing line, that would be the perfect demographic to sell to. And it ultimately um, proved to be a a great point. So the story is kind of, you know, based on, on, on kind of wonky market based uh, uh, data as to why, you know, we ended up in Amherst and I went to uh, a school in North Carolina and then, you know, the rest kind of has evolved from there. And then from there, did you go to work for GE right after that and you got your master's from LSU later or what was the timeline there? Yeah, so, so I failed miserably as an entrepreneur first. And, that, you know, that's something that, you know, I love. I love to pretend didn't happen. But now that, you know, at the time it was, it was painful. You know, you, you say, okay, this is how it works. I have a college degree. I'm going to go out and, and start a company and, and just fail miserably. You what know? was it? What was it? The, the idea was a good one. I, you know, I, you'll, you'll get me into pitching it. I still think that we are probably <laughs> 10 years too early. But the concept okay. was, you know, there was this new technology called an iPod, which is laughable because now it's a part of our daily lives. At the time, what I thought was, you know, really written material is going to go away. And so this idea that communicating through audio is, is ultimately going to be the way that we consume content. So. Okay. The, the theory was if you could take written content of value and you could micro produce that and push it to an iPod, you had a marketplace that would be interesting. Um, so, you know, now in today's world, you think, okay, you create an app, you push content, it's downloaded wherever you are. So at the time, which is hilarious, you know, it took about 20 minutes to download the file. You had to plug it into your computer. Most people had dial up uh, at the time. Right. You know, yep. It made zero sense for the time that we were at. Um, from a business model perspective, I think it was thoughtful, but from an actual execution perspective, it, it just wasn't feasible. And so, okay. you know, this concept that, you know, we certainly could take written content and convert it. And the theory was we could do it overseas with English speaking professionals and, and do it, you know, as rapidly as possible, micro production. So that concept works. The big learning for me there was the, the channel. There, there, there was no over-air distribution of content. There was no high-speed downloading of content. You know, the idea that someone would sit on a train going from Westchester, New York, down to Manhattan and listen to this content was right. But the idea that they would spend 30 minutes before they left the house downloading this content gotcha. um, and then potentially filling their iPod with it. You know, so there were some... Structuralist, but that was the concept, and I, you know, I, I still think it's a fascinating example of being early, not really understanding distribution channels, not really understanding technology, and so, you know, like most really strong entrepreneurs who have failed, 
I went back to business school thinking that it was because I didn't have a business degree is why I failed. Not that, you know, <laughs> all and, and product market fit and all, all those things. But you'd learned a ton, right? You learned a ton during that phase. Yeah. You, 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 did you have employees? Did you raise cash or it didn't, it never made it to that, that point? No, we, you know, I had a little bit of money that I had saved up and, and, okay. and leveraged relationships that, okay. that, that we had. And, and ultimately we had some folks who took bets on us to produce, um, uh, kind of demos in exchange for equity of the company, you know, it was a complete bootstrapped concept. Mm. And I think, you know, for us in, in, in looking back on it, I would say two key lessons from there is one is, you know, the product wasn't thought through and embedded, obviously, as we talked about, I would say the other, the other point is I don't think I was at a phase where I could have jumped in. And I okay. think to be a successful entrepreneur you need to jump in. When, when, when I was young at that time, I didn't have money. You know, you asked me earlier, was I a trust fund kid? I didn't have money that I could tap into. And so there was a, there was a period of time where I graduated that I was either going to make it or I wasn't. Mm. Um, and then at that point of not making it, you go back to business school to buy yourself two more years. But um, yeah, so I, I think it was, it was, it was the sum of, of a lot of different parts that, that, uh, you know, that changed that. How'd you end up going to grad school in Louisiana? Yeah. So, um, my wife is, is from new Orleans, which is I where I, I live today. And, um, we had an amazing opportunity to go back to school at the same time. So we were together at that time. Okay. She went to the university of new Orleans. I went to LSU. Uh, most of us who are in a relationship with someone we care a lot about, um, typically for me, my experience is the other one wins. So we lived in New Orleans and I drove to Baton Rouge. And, you know, and was this, was this, Hey, uh, mother-in-law, father-in-law, let us move in with you while we finish. You know, we, uh, no, we, <laughs> we looked at a lot of different schools and, and we were very lucky that, you know, we had worked hard in undergrad. We had great grades. I think we, we presented ourselves well and we both were offered assistantships. Oh, great. And so, awesome, and, awesome. And, you know, what it represented was this ability for both of us to go back to school Great. Uh, for us to live around her family, but we we had assistantships. For me, good, good. Um, the assistantship couldn't have been better aligned to what I wanted to do. So I worked in the economic development office, which was a part of uh, LSU, and I so see. we helped startups. And I really got to see um, kind of the 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 startup landscape from a completely different way. I had academics going on on one side of my brain, and I had this economic development office happening on the other side, and so really developed a, a deep respect for, for startups in a whole different way of, of, That's great. Of great experience. Okay, great. All right. And then at some point, and so the entrepreneurial bug is there the whole time, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and then what you get hired by GE. Is that uh, your first major company? Uh, yeah, that was completely unexpected. You know, I think, I think we, we look back at our lives and we think of events that ultimately were unexpected, but yes. led to something that were so much bigger than, than you could have ever imagined. And for me, I would say an introduction to Deb Elam was just that, you know, I was at the time pitching business plans, you know, I was uh, dusting off my old business that had failed miserably. I was, I was trying to come up with new concepts and um, constantly applying new business concepts to the classes and participating uh, in different business plan competitions, I just happened to meet uh, an officer of GE. And, you know, you, you think about the way I was raised. I wasn't raised around big companies. Where I grew up is a college town, not really a town of big banking institutions and big corporate America gigs where, you know, it was common where a friend of mine's dad worked for some big company. You know, I, I was 
I was not exposed to that. And so meeting someone from GE, I was a little surprised that they had any interest at all in getting to know me. But the reality is what they loved about me at the time was the fact that I was entrepreneurial and the fact that I had zero corporate experience. And what what Deb liked was not only our conversation, but the ability for me to say, I want to come into this with open eyes and think about GE in a way that's different than other people think about. And so I decided to do it. And it was a leap because it, it, you know, I knew nothing about plastics as an example. And plastics was my first rotation with this executive program that I ended up joining. I knew nothing about water processing technologies. That was my second stop. My third uh, stop at GE was in appliances, which really kind of was best aligned with what I was interested in doing. But it was such a big leap to say, you know, Deb, yes, this is a journey I'm willing to explore. And then obviously I was offered the ability to join this program, which was a two-year program where we're going to have to move around a lot. But it was something that was just unexpected. And, you know, I went into it. This is the, this is the truth. I went into it and I said, this is a two-year gig. There is no way, there's zero chance I'm going to spend a lot of time here. I'm going to, I'm going to have an MBA. I'm going to have GE on my resume. And at that point, I can go start something or do something different. But the reality is I fell in love with a lot of aspects of GE and ended up spending close to 11 years there. And, and saw that. Yep. just completely unexpected. I would, have never, I would have never expected to spend that amount of time there. But then when you look at who I am as an individual and what GE was going through during those times and the jobs that I held, it makes perfect sense. Yep, I agree. And then what happened? You uh, you got a call from a recruiter or somebody at Big Ass Fans, uh, which I love that name, by the way. Yeah. So Big Ass Fans called you in maybe for some consulting first or to run it or fix it or what? Well, yeah, walk us through what happened there. You know, super interesting story. Um, I was running a group uh, based in New York for GE. Um, it was a consumer venture group. And so we looked after a lot of disruptive startups and we, we – our, our role was really to not only understand kind of where the market was going, but to see if there were interesting companies that we could potentially partner with or invest in um, to do unique things within the GE platform. And okay. Big Ass Fans was introduced to me in, in that context. And you, you think about Big Ass Fans, it's a manufacturer and distributor of very large industrial and commercial ceiling fans. So okay. GE, as an example, is one of the biggest customers of, of Big Ass Fans. It obviously helps with heating and cooling in a lot of very large spaces. And so you okay. think about a large GE aviation warehouse, big ass fans is the perfect product to be spinning overhead and help mix that air throughout the facility. So I was met uh, or I was introduced to the company through that channel and ultimately met the founder of the company who is really an extraordinary individual. Okay. And I would say an individual who really understands disruption from a branding perspective, a product perspective, and a go-to-market perspective. And what blew me away was not only the brand, but the fact that from a business-to-business perspective and a business-to-consumer perspective, this is a direct company globally. Mm -hmm. So I was absolutely enamored. You know, having spent 11 years going through um, big brand, going through distribution, dealing with being so far removed from the customer, what big-ass fans represented was this proximity to the customer that I had never seen. Okay. To, to, to kind of put a finer point on it, you had an entrepreneur who was evaluating what next for him, what next for his family, what next for the company. And the idea that I could be a part of that and help him as an individual explore what's next, 
help the organization explore what's next was something that I couldn't pass up. And so we um, spent a lot of time talking, thinking about what could be. And ultimately, he came to me at one point and said, you know, I think the right answer is selling the company. And so what we did was we put a plan in place to restructure the company. And uh, and so I joined kind of with this concept of uh, I was going to help him. Uh, you were going to help him get it sold. Okay, so that was the plan. Well, and, and, and look, I mean, the reality is I would say he was arguably just as innovative and disruptive in that process that we put together um, as he was in, our, in, in the business. We, we right. had an extraordinary exit, great valuation. Um, for the company on the way out. And I think what we did to get the company ready for sale was, um, was phenomenal. And so, you know, I have a, I have a deep amount of respect for him as an individual, for him as a, a founder. And, and so I looked at it and said, what a great opportunity. What a great opportunity to learn from someone. What a totally great agree. opportunity to restructure, uh, sell a company. It's just yep. things I couldn't pass up. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, and so, now that had to be a little bit scary, right? You're like, okay, you want me to leave this cushy GE job and you want me to come help you sell the company, which means I'm going to be unemployed. You, you, you want me to take myself to another point of being unemployed. That's a little scary, right? Well, yeah, yes and no, right? I mean, I think, I think when people inspire you, they inspire you, right? And okay. you go back to the conversation with Deb Elam. Deb Elam inspired me to not be an entrepreneur and to go join GE. I think Kerry Smith inspired me to leave GE and, and help him on this journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are times in life where we have to take a step back and say, is this opportunity extraordinary enough to change our trajectory? Good. Um, and, 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 you know, look, worst case scenario, what, we didn't sell the company? Best case scenario, we did sell the company? You know, it, either way you slice it, uh, it was going to be an amazing experience. And, and, and I think what, what we all learn, and as I mentioned, we look back at these events in life and we say, wow, if it weren't for this, it wouldn't have led to that or these defining moments. It's also up to us to create those defining moments. And it's also up to us to see those moments in front of us Agreed. and take the leap to go do it. And, you know, it's, it's, often, it, it's oftentimes too easy for us to talk ourselves out of it, to here, you know, develop lists of all the reasons why it can't work. I don't think we spend enough time saying, here's all the reasons why it can be extraordinary and change the way I look at life. And from there, you take the leap and you go and do it. I love it. I love it. You, you know, you're super optimistic. You're super positive. You can always just tell you're, you're a glass half full guy, right? And, and I love that you've mentioned mentors several times to get you to this point, right? You really are are, are giving credit to the people that inspired you along the, along the way. I love that. So when you were there at Big Ass Fans, and you're, you're, this is great experience, you meet your co-founder of Truman's, Alex Reed, right? He was an employee yeah. there? Yeah, that's, that's right. So I, I met Alex there. And by the way, one comment about the optimism and the glass half full or half yeah. empty, yeah. You know, I can tell you this journey has had super high highs and super low lows. <laughs> I think I think one thing one thing that is is so important to to recognize and embrace is that there are high highs and there are low lows. And you know during those those steps and those extraordinary events that that I described, there were tough times as well. I think the difference is you lean into them and you admit that they happen and you admit that they're normal and you admit that that. It's it's a part of daily life, and you feel anxiety just like everyone else. You feel low like everyone else. Um, you know, you mentioned Alex uh, meeting him at at Big Ass. 
he was in a tough place when I first went to Big Ass Fan. So, you know, I, I, I think back to our journey and I think back to the ability of being honest and open and very transparent with people. I would say Alex is my co-founder today because of one conversation. And that conversation was rooted in his honesty. So he was unhappy at Big Ass Fans. Okay. Okay. So he came to me very early on. And, and I think, I think many employees at Big Ass Fans were trying to assess why is this individual here? Right. Mm-hmm. What, what is about to happen? Why is this guy here? And, 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 you know, and, and Alex came to me and said he, he, he wasn't sure if he wanted to be a part of whatever was to come. Okay. And what I pitched him on is, look, we need you because you're great at what you do. And so, he was a marketing guy, right? He was the marketing guy. And, and, you know, Alex is a young guy. So Alex had been with the company since he was 19 years old. And at this time, he was probably 29 years old. So, you okay. know, he had had a 10-year run with the company. The company had experienced extraordinary growth. You know, but, but Alex sat down with me and was very open and honest saying, I, I think I've reached the end of it. Because for him, if you go into his mindset, he's 19 years old. All he's ever known is big ass fans. He's only known growth. He's only known success within that platform. And I think he was ready to do something else. And, you know, he saw someone like me who had corporate experience who kind of came in at a very senior role um, with, with the autonomy and ability to kind of restructure things and, and, and just didn't know where he fit in. And so the conversation started with, I think I want out and okay. ended with him partnering with me to not only continue to run marketing, which he had done an exceptional job in partnership with Carrie, but helping me sell the company. Okay. And so, you know, I think about tying what you said about being optimistic, but then being very transparent, open and honest. You know, Alex and I going through that process, got to know each other really well, got to experience high highs together, low lows together. And I think that that's also characteristics of great working relationship. You know, what I observed is Alex is, is a super smart individual who really understands contemporary go-to-market strategies and, and really disruptive concepts. That's one side of it. But then on the life side, he's just a really good individual. And he's someone That's- who's open and honest. And so, you know, we, our partnership as it relates to Truman's was rooted in this idea of honesty and transparency Love and being it. very upfront with each other from that initial conversation. And from there, uh, you know, it, the, re- the rest, as it relates to Truman's, is, is just a wonderful story. So at some point, uh, let's, let's walk into the, the, you know, the timeline where you and him are like, okay, hey, big-ass fans, uh, we're about to get this sold. This is almost done. Are you starting to have those, what are we going to do next conversations over happy hour? Or when, when did that happen? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's super funny because um, – you know, there are a lot of questions, right? There are questions, do you want to stay? Do you want to leave? Um, you know, do you want to be a part of, of the next wave of this company? Do you not? And and I, I think for me, I, I try to think back, there was a lot of unknowns. You know, for, for on, on one hand, just from a pure life perspective, mm-hmm. we had been in Kentucky. Even when I was working in New York, I was commuting to New York. We're not from Kentucky. We have no roots in Kentucky. So just on one side of it, there was a life interest in not living in Kentucky. Okay. And the, by the way, the company is headquartered in Kentucky. And so, you know, one side of it was this, this concept of, I'm not sure I want to live here. And that's okay. the life side. And what I always think you, you do is you start with, with life first, and then you work your career. <laughs> well, you should anyway, you should. That's right. So that, so that was one side. The, the other side is, you know, I think, I think what we observed is a lot of opportunity in the marketplace. And I think that 
um, for both of us, we felt like there was greater opportunity outside than inside. Okay. Now, we, we sold the company to a private equity uh, buyer. And just pure math and, and statistics, when you look at what traditionally happens, the company becomes less disruptive and more operational. That's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. kind of in general what happens. And so the decision point was, do I want to be more like a corporate individual mm-hmm. or do I want to be more entrepreneurial? And, and, so, and, and did you have a ride along? Did you have to stay on for a year or something when they went? Um, I, I, I was very lucky in that I only had to stay on for a very short period okay. of time. Okay, there great. great. Alex had to stay on for about um, five months. But, okay. um, you know, we were, we were lucky in that uh, we were able to kind of write the script, um, which, which was great, and, and able to, um, I would say, take advantage of all the good that came out of it, but also, um, you know, be in a situation where we had the chance to dream about yeah. what would become Truman's. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, funny, but, you, you know, there were a lot of plane rides where, um, you know, we talked about what should we do after this. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. for me, as I said, on that spectrum, I want to be more entrepreneurial in what I do. And, and so the idea of working for a big company just wasn't appealing and, and kind of running a big company wasn't, I wanted, I was at a, I was at a point where I kind of had, had seen enough of that side. I'd done it longer than I wanted to. And I was ready to take that leap. I don't know how you're, you're, you're on a plane and you're, uh, you're, uh, you know, they're having a cocktail late at night on a red eye, and somehow you say, "I know what we can do. We can start a cleaning company." <laughs> well, um, it, tell me, yeah, tell me. So let's let's walk into the the Truman's idea. Yeah, you know, I think I think what we looked for was characteristics in a marketplace, and 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 for us, what I loved about Big Ass Fans was the opportunity to recreate it from a branding perspective, but to recreate it from a go to market perspective. Okay, Alex and I are both dads. Um, I, I've got two super messy kids. He's got two super messy kids. I love to cook. Um, we, we actually, we, we love being a part of our family life, right? And, and when you're part of your family life, you see certain categories that don't make a lot of sense. Um, because of the lifestyle that I think he and I have, we rely heavily on e-commerce. Okay. And, and one of the things that I observed was my wife, and this is very early on, but my wife, ordering these like huge packages that paper towels would come in and, and, and big cleaning supplies half the time they would break in route and there'd be water everywhere. And so, you know, on one hand we said, you know, there's an opportunity to rethink cleaning just purely from an e-commerce and distribution perspective. But I think what's more compelling is when you think about the branding structure within the cleaning category, it's all a house of brands and they're all brands that are extraordinarily decentralized. So you think about Tide as an example, and I have a lot of respect for Tide and what Procter and Gamble has done to build that up, but that only works within laundry. There is no other place where Tide would make sense to show up. And so what we said is there's an opportunity here to have a direct relationship and conversation with consumers in a category that has been treated in somewhat of an unemotional way. Mm-hmm. So we saw the ability to create a lifestyle brand that had a deep connection with customers, a human brand that was built on things that we value like transparency and honesty, and really explain to a consumer what value they're getting for what they just purchased. And as I said, here's a category where you have 57 different types of cleaners. You look at the retail shelf and, and, and the retailer and the brands want to make you believe that you should pay $9 
for a, a granite cleaner or $9 for stainless cleaner. And you don't need things like that. And not only that, but you're paying mostly for water. You know, the, the dirty secret is that most big cleaning brands are wasting billions of pounds of plastics every single year by shipping you products that are 98% water. You and know, you- I, I never, I never, that never even crossed my mind until I saw your product, your website and watched some of your material. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, yeah. I mean, you take a step back and you think about it. You take a bottle of Windex, imagine the size of the manufacturing facility that's needed to facilitate the manufacturing of Windex, which is 98% water. And then imagine all the trucks lined up outside that facility and imagine the distribution centers that are needed. And then it finally gets to the retail shelf and it's 57 feet of mess on the retail shelf. It makes zero sense. Right. No one, not, you know, if you and I were sitting in a business school class and said, right. let's think about the home cleaning <laughs> category, not one person would raise their hand and say, let's fill it with water. Right. With, Here's the concentrate. <laughs> this is all we need to ship. And, and we'd send it. You're so right. it's a category that is broken from a brand perspective. It's broken from a customer promise perspective, the ability to communicate with brands. And then most importantly, it's completely broken from a supply chain perspective. You know, I mentioned the Windex example, and I, you know, asked people to imagine how many trucks it takes. It takes 30 trucks to move the equivalent of one truck of concentrates. Wow. You know, it's just, it's mind boggling how much opportunity there is to reinvent the process. And so Alex and I saw this just huge opportunity. We said, like, businesses are using concentrates. Consumers need to be using them on a, on a macro scale. And the worst part about the story is that big brands introduced concentrates 20 years ago and moved away from it because they felt like they couldn't get price in the retail market. And so really, in, wow, in okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. In the spirit of transparency, you know, we are leading the charge to say there is no reason why they can't do this. There is no reason why Windex, as an example, couldn't convert to 100% concentrates today. They could do it overnight. But what they're afraid of is that $349 or $399 price point I see. can't be justified. And so that's why they're not making the change. It has nothing to do with what the consumer wants. It has everything to do with maintaining price, their own profitability, and they're frankly not being transparent about it. And the other thing that bothers us about the category is they pick one SKU and they do it right with that one SKU or one product, and then the rest is a mess. And so you see these big companies who point to one product and say, look, we use ocean plastic for this one product. Well, then you go to the retail shelf and you see 50 others that are responsible for that ocean plastic. So, you know, we think it's a category that's extraordinarily messy. It's broken. It's upside down. And um, we're going to flip it the other way, make it right. We're going to clean it up. and, And so that's why we built the company. You know, you're super passionate about the topic, which I love. It's just pouring out of you, right? I love that. I'm sure that's a fuel that drives you guys. How long did you spend drawing up the plan and everything before you, you know, filed for the LLC? And then, and when you did file it and you, and you kind of got started, did you raise cash right away or did you bootstrap it? Walk, walk us, you know, walk through that early stage. Yeah. You know, I think, I think what, what we wanted to do very early on was build a model that had scale. And so we had a strategic partner very early on who helped us imagine how we could get into market. And, and the concept was that we'd go out and raise additional capital after we had kind of proven that initial model. And so we had a theory. We wanted to prove that that theory could work. Um, what, what surprised us really early on was love for the brand. And so as I mentioned, we saw these two opportunities, which is branding and then technology opportunity. And so 
when we sat down, we knew that technology concentrates existed. You know, as I mentioned, it's, it concentrates been used in businesses for 20 years. And so what we said is, well, how do we find unique technology? And that took a couple steps and that took a partnership to allow us to do that. From a branding perspective, I would say that was probably the, the, the heaviest part of the company. Well, setting up the supply chain was difficult and making sure that we had everything in order to make it scale and make it work was difficult. What was really hard was finding a way for consumers to fall in love with a brand. And so what, what we decided ultimately was it had to be an extension of us. And so what we said is let's create a brand that is from our voice. And so rather than hiring an agency, Alex and I sat down and we came up with the brand name. We came up with all the copy and we said, okay. if we think that this works and we think this is an extension of us, this is the brand that we're proud of and this is how we go to market. And so that took a little bit of time. But, you know, we launched the company. We announced it to some family and friends what we were doing. And, you know, ultimately there was a, a large group of people who were following what we were doing. And some of that was because people were fascinated by the big ass fan sale and, and others were just genuinely interested to, to see what we were going to do next. But, you know, we had this following of people who were interacting with our content Okay. And so we announced uh, before before they're interacting with you before you're selling anything. There's no revenue. Right. Right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, we, we were we were super transparent about right. it. We said, look, we're going to start a cleaning company. It's called Truman's. This is what we're going to do. Um, we shared things Love like, it. yeah, we, we we shared things like color and said we're we're thinking about this blue or that blue. Which do you like better? Oh, that's we really a good idea. Wanted to we wanted to invite people to be part of the process and 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 really be open about it. You know, we sent thousands of demo products out to get to get feedback. And what, what's really funny about that is we had people who contacted us all the time and said, you know, there's a more scientific way of doing research than posting on Facebook. Do you like this color blue or that? <laughs> and, you know, we, we were not doing this uh, other than, you know, just to kind of allow people to be a part of this process. And what that translated to is this incredible, incredible love at launch. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we actually did launch the company, um, as an example, our content went viral on LinkedIn, which is just extraordinary. Ad Age wrote an article about that. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was amazing. You know, we had one statistic that I love to share with people is we're a U.S. based company. We only advertise in the U.S. We really only think about ourselves as telling the story in the U.S. We had 120 unique countries visit our website in, in the first few weeks of the company's existence. That's, that's- all through word of mouth, all through capturing imagination in a category that's stale. And so for us, that planning process took a little bit of time because we had to get it right from a branding perspective. But yeah, the, the launch was extraordinary. And, and, you know, we launched this past year in March of 2019. Um, okay. And, okay. Uh, All right. we're, we're, we're a baby company. We're still in diapers. And now, now were you guys, how are you and Alex paying the, the mortgage at this time? Like you, you, there's no revenue. I guess you're, you're living off savings basically from, from your past and you're just, told, you're, you're kind of trying to get this going. Yeah. And the re, the reason I asked that question is, you know, so, so many of our listeners, you know, they're always like, man, okay, well I got a mortgage. I got a, I got a car payment. Like I can't just quit my job and spend six months, you know, drawing up uh, a business plan. And so I, uh, you know, I'm just, I like to push people that come onto the show with that topic and have them kind of describe, I mean, was that scary for you? You're, yeah, you're, I mean, you're, 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 you're married at the time. Now you had kids at the time too, right? So you're like, Absolutely. okay, well, yeah, my, my, my kids, you know, my, my son just turned nine this past week and I've got another one who's four. So, you know, this is real and, and <laughs> kids don't understand if you're starting a company, they don't understand if, if, right. you know, how, so, you know, the key to it all is, is managing 
the stress and, 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 you know, the reality is that I mentioned those, those extraordinary times, those moments where you feel like you have to take a leap. And this is an opportunity that we felt like was, was just too big to pass up and, and something that we believe in to the level that we're willing to take on, on risk. You know, I, I think that, I think that people work very hard to develop uh, a, a savings um, and, and yep. they work very hard to develop a certain amount of money that will help them in dark times. And so for us, we felt like it was worth, it was worth the risk to take this journey because we believed in it. And, you know, look, it, it is extraordinarily stressful and, and, and we're, you know, every day is, is challenging. And, you know, I mentioned what's been the, what's been the scariest moment so far. Is there, has there been a few of those, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and walk around in the living room and, uh, no, I I, look, I, I I think, I think every, I think every moment is scary. You know, I, I, it's, it's less about me though. Right. I mean, I, I think what, what keeps me up at night is, you know, we made our our product childproof because we never want to be in a situation where okay. a child gets negatively impacted by our product. And so we're, we've been maniacal about child safety. You know, that's an example of one thing that, you know, you worry about. You, luck, we've been lucky that we've never had, we're non-toxic and biodegradable. So, you know, on the spectrum of, of causing harm, we're, we're like way in, in, the, in the green zone. But, you know, you constantly are worrying about, you know, if someone had an allergic reaction to the mm. product. For mm. me, a lot of it is like customer satisfaction. Like when I see a negative review, like, it just kills me. Oh, we, yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there are these like authentic moments. Like, you know, I'll tell you, we had a customer, a customer, it was a Sunday morning and I, I, every once in a while will log into chat and, and, and chat with customers. They don't, they don't know it's me. I'll admit that I don't use my name. Right. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll show up like a, a customer service agent and this, this individual chatted with us and they didn't realize that the subscription, we, we sell via subscription and via a la carte. They didn't realize the subscription was hitting on that weekend and they were having I financial I struggle. See. I see. And, and I ended up uh, talking to this individual and, you know, I ended up um, Venmoing them the, the, the um, refund in real time. Wow. And then we ended up kind of, you know, pinging each other. And he, and, and I, you know, I, I, I actually told him, I said, look, I'm, you know, the, one of the founders of the company, I'm happy to solve this for you. And, you know, since then I've sent this individual free product, I've sent them demo product. I've learned a lot about why this individual was, was in the situation that they're in because of an illness. Um, I, you know, on, on, on one day um, interacting with them, um, they were talking about just some challenges they were dealing with based on that illness. And I, I took the time to send them a gift card um, from Starbucks. And I said, you know, when I'm having those dark days, oftentimes I need to go get a cup of coffee and just, you know, get my mind out of it. And so I think those are the things that stress me out is, is it's less about me. Like I'll figure it out. Right. Like, like, you know, I was a GE for a while. I think, I think I've got the confidence to know that if for some reason treatments didn't work, I can figure something out, right. To take care of my family. But I think what stresses me the most is that we're, we're, we're taking care of customers in the way that we wanted the company to be. And that when we say we're transparent and honest, that we're delivering on that. And I think that, you know, that's an example of, you know, really bothered me deeply that, you know, here's this individual that's going through extraordinary medical issues, had just, just based on life kind of forgot that 
you know, they, they had, they had done this and, and, and ordered this product. And, you know, you, you know, that story ties right into what you see when you go to your, your company Facebook page. I mean, it's, there's a, a very nice personal touch there, right? There's lots of photos of real customers. That's right. Uh, and, and there's lots of engagement with your customers, personal engagement, better than any, any brand I've seen in a while. I mean, I just, as soon as I went, you know, obviously I did my homework before the call and I thought to myself, man, there is a, a really nice, thorough personal touch here, like with, Thank with, you. with, with their clients or, and with their customers. And you can feel that on you too, right? I mean, I'm sure that's where it comes from. It's great to, to be a, a business person that wants to make money and grow a brand and, and all that. But if you also truly care about your customers and the environment and making a difference, it helps, right? Then, then you, then you got both. You want to be a successful business person. You also want to make a difference in people's lives and in the environment. And I feel like that's what you're doing with the brand. It definitely feels that way. It feels. Well, thank you. I, you know, I'm super, super grateful and appreciative of that comment. And, you know, here's, here's what I would say, you know, I don't, I, I think some people would argue that we're trying to be a green company. I, I would actually disagree with that. And, and here's why. Okay. You know, ultimately, what you said is right on. We want to be the most customer-centric, open, honest, and transparent company out there. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that if you're Windex, you do not need to be shipping a customer a product that is 98% water. <laughs> and so we're, number one, going to tell you the truth, that you only need to concentrate. Number two, we're going to tell you that you don't need to overpay for water and transportation costs. We can actually give you a better product at the same price, a significantly better performing product that's non-toxic. It's not going to harm your home at the same price. And so, by the way, as part of that process, we reduce plastic by 80%. Yeah, we reduce great. the supply chain by 70%. But it's built on the promise that we're delivering you a better product and we're being more transparent to you as the customer. And so, you know, we didn't come up with this saying, let's save the world by reducing plastic by 80%. We came up with this saying, how do we get better product in the hands of people in a category that is completely broken? And when I mentioned very early on that conversation of these big bulky boxes that we pay for and they break on, on the way to us and, these things don't make sense. And so how do you create a company that delivers on a better promise that is more approachable? And when you do those things, by the way, it just happens to be more efficient and it yeah. uses less materials and it uses uh, less of a burden on the supply chain. And so, so, you know, that's the right way to do it. It's the smarter way of doing it. As I said, if we sat in that business class, you and I would never dream right. up uh, the, the old way of doing it. And so I think that's an important note. You know, we, we receive videos because it's, it's the power of reciprocity. People are genuinely thankful for what we've done for them. And, and they're obviously doing something in return and that's genuine. That's awesome. And so that's the whole goal of, of, of what we're doing and what we're about because you know, life is, life is too short and you can go out and make a dollar anywhere. Um, but to do good and, and mm-hmm. to make someone yes. feel special about yes. something like a cleaning product is to us, it's, it's meaningful. And I think that for everyone, for every customer, for every buyer, for everyone you deal with, 
that decision to them is important and it should be treated that way. Mm-hmm. And I think for any brand or any company, regardless of the industry, to discount the transaction is a failure. You know, to say that, well, we're a cart filler, so it doesn't matter. Look, the bottom line is we all work really hard. Your question about what keeps me up at night, it's rooted in this concept of if you don't have enough money to pay for things to support your family, then there's duress. Well, guess what? Everything you buy has a price. And if you have a bunch of companies out there who don't really care, that's so unfair and that's so unjust. And so, you know, when you think about it in this context and you say that, look, everything we do, whether it's 10 cents or $5 million, whatever we pay for, it has a value. It has a purpose. When you think about it in that context, you really understand why we're in business Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately to, to deliver on this idea that we're human, we're transparent, we're honest, um, and we're built to, to change the industry. And you are changing it, my friend. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you, how do you keep these other big cleaning companies from just doing the same thing, right? Or, the, or, or competitors, do you worry about that? Talk to us about, because I guess you can't, you can't patent or protect this in any way, right? Somebody else could copy it. I'd love for them to do it. I mean, I, <laughs> You know, here, here's the here's the the reality. Um, we had one of those big companies invest in us, and so full disclosure, being transparent, I saw that um, we we just did a rounds and and a very large German uh, company, which we have a deep respect for, invested mm-hmm. in us. I saw, I saw that five million dollars, and so congratulations, you know, congratulations by the way. I'm guessing thank that I'm guessing that's your biggest raise so far. Yeah, it is for sure. Yeah. That was our seed. That was our seed round. Um, so we raised uh, dollars led by Henkel. Um, just an extraordinary team, very aware and transparent. And here's what I would say: I would love nothing more than to walk into a retailer tomorrow and see concentrates on the shelf. Okay. But you and I both know they won't do it, and the reason why they won't do it is because they sit in these meetings and all they're concerned about is protecting price not only protecting price, but making more money. And so rather than saying, mm-hmm. what could we do that delivers a better product for the customer based on that price, yeah. they say, how can we either hold our position, and which typically means a larger size at a lower price, so that's more water uh, for the same price, or they say, let's come up with a strategy to make you believe you need to buy a granite cleaner for $9. Right. And then what was once a three forty nine cleaner for your granite countertop is now $9 because it's a specialty cleaner. That, unfortunately, is the game. The game is not, let's educate customers, let's be open and honest with customers and tell them that that little, that little 0.33 ounces of Windex is all you need to make a cleaning product. That's all you need. What they're worried about is that, as I said, instead of paying $3.99 or $3.49, the customer's only going to want to pay a fraction because that's what Windex has said their, their product is worth. Mm-hmm. So we've come out in a completely different way and said, look, as I said, better formula. So much, much, much better formula at the same price. Gotcha. Um, and it really puts them in a tough, in a tough situation. But look, I'd love for them to, to convert and, um, you know, we, we hope more companies come out and, and do it. It's the right way to do it. So now you're off and running. Now you have, uh, you know, this new investment uh, that, that just came in. And so are, how many employees do you have? Uh, under 10, um, believe it or not. Okay. So, so, and, and we believe in a super, super lean model. Um, you know, one of the things that I think makes us special is 
being close to the customer, uh, helping the customer when they need, but also being super lean and super fast. And, you know, frankly, we look at these big companies and we say we want to do the opposite of what they do. And so um, having a small team is something that we want uh, always. Um, we, we think if we get too big that we'll start behaving exactly like them. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing you are going to have to hire a few more. Let me ask you this. You've obviously now hired and managed people for a long time, right? Even back in GE and yeah. at Big Ass Fans. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of that for a minute. When you're interviewing somebody, let's say somebody wants to come to work for Truman's, what are you looking for? What what personality traits or characteristics are you looking for uh, when somebody's interviewing with you? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, one comment is every business has to add talent. You know, there, there, there's no, there's no business uh, out there that, that, right. that can run on autopilot. And so then you get to how do you scale with talent? And, right. you know, oftentimes we talk about scaling in business and we talk about the ability to grow revenue at an exponential rate. I think what the challenge is, and, and it's something certainly at this point in my career, I've not solved for, um, but you're always striving to get there is how do you hire people who have the same values? Right. And so I mentioned as an example, my willingness to get on chat and Venmo a customer and develop mm-hmm. a relationship with a customer. That's a, a value of the company. And so, yep. you know, on a Sunday morning, I was able to do that because we're a baby company. I mentioned we're still in diapers, you know, but if we're a hundred times the size that we are today, how do we maintain Mm -hmm. the culture and how do we scale the culture? And so, you know, one thing that I I mentioned very early on the call is this concept of diversity of thought. That's critical. So you have to have a diverse leadership team. You have to have an inclusive leadership team, but arguably you have to have the cultural fit. And I think that that's something that is, is hard to figure out how you filter for that, how you make sure that someone really believes it and lives it. And, you know, we obviously have a lot of inbound interest from people who say they would love to be a part of the company. The question is, do you really want to be a part of the culture? Because our culture is one that, um, you know, the cliche is the customer is always right. Um, we kind of think the customer is everything. And so when you think the customer is everything, it informs everything you do. And so, you know, I I think what, you know, it's funny because you mentioned what keeps me up at night. One of the things that keeps me up at night is like, how do you scale with culture? And, and that is, um, you you hear the horror stories all the time about, you know, oh, well, it once was like this. The company once was like that. Or when we founded the company, we thought it would be like this. And then a couple hundred employees later, it's not. And I can tell you, even with 10, under 10, um, it, it's hard. And I think that, you know, you think about growth and you think about international opportunities, as an example, how do you translate that culture overseas? And so, yeah, it's, it's complex. And it's something that... um it, it, it's, it's something that you have to, you have to think about because it's a part of your growth, just like selling product. You know, your passion is the customer, right? You are super passionate about that. Sure. And uh, I just, I just saw this old video clip of Mark Cuban, like back in the, I don't know when it was early nineties or something. Uh, and he was just giving this speech on if your customers aren't happy, I don't give a, I don't give a crap what you're making, what you're building, what you're doing. If your customers aren't happy, you're dead. 
And so, and you can just tell you're super passionate about that and, and uh, making sure that they're, that they're part of it, right? And that you're getting their feedback. And I think that's really critical. Yeah. Let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this. You know, what I love about your personal story, first of all, Truman's is, is an awesome story. But right, the, the product, the brand is so cool. I never even thought of trucks driving around with 99% water in these containers, like the stuff that you point out on the website. I, I just never even thought about it. Yeah. Uh, just the other day, matter of fact, our, our housekeeper was uh, just here uh, this morning and, uh, you know, she's reaching under the sink and grabbing those, those containers. <laughs> I've got to send you some. I have to, I have to yes. clean up your under the sink. I, I love the story really. I'm, and I'm, uh, and I think it's, uh, I think it's just going to grow a lot bigger, uh, super fast probably, but your personal story, I really love too. And I, and I want to point this out for the listeners. You know, if you look at your profile, right? You look, if, if you look John up on LinkedIn, you're going to see good education, he, you know, got, got his master's degree, went to work for GE for a long time. Then he, you know, helped, helped sell a company and, 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 you know, did all these things as an executive right after big ass fans, right then when you were the president and you took it to a sell, you could have just went to work for a PE firm. You could have went to work for a VC firm. You could have taken on another executive job for another brand. You could have just stayed right and just kept doing that. Right. right. Somebody pay you 300 grand a year or more to just, okay, come run this other brand. You could have done that. What? You know, nice cushy job, (laughs) but instead right there, you said, you know what? I've had this entrepreneurial thing in me for a long time. Right now is my opportunity. I'm going to take this risk. And I can't imagine what it was like for you to tell your wife, like, Hey, listen, I don't know how much money I'm going to make next year (laughs) because we're going to, we're going to start this other business. And she's probably thinking, well, hold on. You, you could just, you could just go be an executive and make a lot of money somewhere. (laughs) I love that about you. I love that. uh, I love that you took that risk and it takes guts to do that. My friend, so many people, so many people I talk to, they want to, right. They, they wanted to do it, but they're just scared. What, what would you tell, you know, that 40, 45 year old executive, you know, or let's even, let's even say 30 to 50, right? They've been an executive now. They ran a, a company like big ass fans and they, Ooh, they, they want to, they want to do something, but they're scared. What would yeah. you, what kind of encouragement would you give them? You know, it is one of the most fascinating questions I think you can ask. And, and it's, it's really, there, there are so many facets to it. Um, yep. The, the crazy thing is that we all have Facebook and we all, have social media and and oftentimes we see these snippets and these snippets are of a kid that we remember as being six months old. And then the next thing you realize they're five years old. And then the next thing you see they're 20 years old. Um, And, you know, we oftentimes use kids as a way of saying, wow, life is moving. And, and, you know, it happens to me all the time. I, I I'll bump into a friend from GE many years ago and I'll see pictures of his kids. And in my mind, they're these little beings and now they're going to college. And I think what we oftentimes forget in the corporate world is that same speed is happening in front of us. That is a great point. I love that. (laughs) And we, we look at, we think we kind of look the same and we act the same. And, 
Um, but the reality is that so many people in corporate America are stuck in time mm-hmm. and they're stuck in this cycle where they think, well, it's that next job that is going to be the defining job. And, and I'll tell you, I've met more executives and I'm talking CEOs, CMOs, top executives of companies that when they finally get there, yeah. they think something has changed that wasn't as good as the way the role was set up before. So they think, you know, you know, for example, you know, the CEO before me, they had autonomy and they didn't have to deal with the board and they didn't have to, and there are all these very, and then now that I'm CEO, look at how the market has changed. Look at the board is now coming in once a quarter and I have all these things that I've got to deal with. And so my role as CEO is clearly not as good as, right? And, and the problem is that we all get stuck in this moment where we're searching for something. Yes. Trying to get to the next, trying, trying, to, trying to get to that next thing. And if I can just you know, get to next, it's going to be okay. That's right. What I, what I tell a lot of young people who are struggling with the very question that you've asked me and they say, you know, my God, I, I work at this big company and it's great for my career. And what I tell them is, look, here's the sad reality. The sad reality is you're probably going to average a 10% income increase over the next decade. Maybe. That's, yeah, maybe. Probably less than that. (laughs) And so, you know, do the math and figure out if it's worth it from a financial perspective. Do the math and figure out if it's worth it from a life perspective. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the reality is when you adjust the risk equation, it's actually not as scary as you would think. Because if, if, if you truly don't want to be in the role, it's not worth being in these jobs where you're stuck in these companies and you're seeing these kids grow up, but in your mind, time isn't moving. Time is moving. Time is moving. And if you don't take advantage of it and you don't find a way to be happy every day, and, and by the way, what I will tell you too is that like it's all connected. When you're happy in what you do, you end up working out more. You end up uh, being a better spouse. Yep. You end up being a better parent. And so the, the trap that you're in, if it is a trap, there is no end point. Mm-hmm. There is no, there is no, when right. I get that CEO That's right. job, because That's when right. you get there, you're going to say it's not as good as what I thought it was going to be. Right. Yeah. So you have to go out and, and, and find it for yourself. And, and the other thing that I think not enough of us do is there's this inner voice that tells us, do this, Right. You know, there's this inner voice that says, I want to be an actor or I want to be an entrepreneur. Right. We push that voice away and we justify so many reasons why we can't do it. But look, we're only here that I'm aware of for this one shot. That's right. That's right. And by, and by the way, there's no, there's no rewind button. You can't, you can't go back. You can't press rewind. I'm using rewind. That's an old term for, for, uh, uh, you know, cassette players and VHS. But the point is you cannot press rewind. This is not a movie. You can't start it over. (laughs) That's exactly right. And I think you need to take time to figure out exactly what you want to do. I mean, there, there are people who do the craziest things in life and it makes them the happiest. And there are things who do, the most boring things in life and it makes them miserable, but they feel like they have to do it because of, of making money. There are so many ways to, to, to make uh, a family um, okay. And, you know, it's up to us to define what success looks like. And I'm sure, you know, with what you do, you see this all the time. All the time. You know, the, the person who makes $500,000 a year is just as stressed as the person who makes $50,000 a year. Yes. We're dealing with the exact same issues. And so, you know, ultimately, we just need to find 
what we're passionate about, what we want to do, what what really makes inspires us to wake up in the morning and and be proud mm-hmm. of of what we do. But you 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 have to get out of that rut. You have to get out of this this idea that something magic will happen that will change the trajectory. <laughs> I love it. I mean, such good things, advice. That is such people are clicking on Facebook during the day because they're bored and they're seeing these kids age in front of them. That's yet right. they don't that their entire career is 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 just stuck in front of them. It's such so. good advice, John. You're at you're such good advice. I love how you tied it into the speed of life as a child versus the speed of life as an adult. You're right. It's all going the same speed. I remember telling my high school boys who both played sports, they were like you, you know, they were jocks. <laughs> I re- and I remember telling them back then like, "Hey, you can't come back here. Like this is your okay. senior. This is your senior year in wrestling. This is your senior year in football. Like this is it. Like this there's no. It. That's you right. Can't, you're not coming back to this to this period. And what was so funny is I used to just really pound on them about how important it was and how fast that was going to go by. But you're right. It it applies to our adult life too. It's still going the same speed, and people are yeah. just letting it go by. Letting it go by. I mean, it's it's. You know, you, you start doing the math, you know, and, 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 you know, the scary things in life are like when you think about how many summers you have with your yes. kids or how many, you know, or how many weekends you have with your kids. And if you don't, if you don't put that in context, mm. you're not going to be a great parent because mm. you're not exposing them to things. But we don't do that on the career side. Mm. None of us say, oh, well, I've only got, you know, six, seven, eight jobs. I mean, you know, if, if you actually did the math, on the the average duration in a job mm-hmm. and you did the math on career, you may only have 10 jobs. That's right. Yet, <laughs> yet, you know, we, we, we think that it's, you know, because we look in the mirror and we don't see ourselves aging and, and we think that, you know, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, so you know, I would, say, I would say just, just take, you know, it's, uh, and, 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 you know, look, I'm on the other side of it. Right. And I was a GE guy for what, nine years longer than I wanted to. So I get, I get the, the draw and, and, and just being challenged and, and, you know, the cycle of having a job every two years, that's new and different. And I get that. Um, what I can also appreciate is that there is another side to it. Yes. And, and, and when you really listen to that inner voice that's and you right. go after it, amazing things can happen. Totally agree. I know we're almost out of time. Two more, two more questions. Sure, let's do it. You know, you know I, I love you're a very inspirational guy, and Thank I love I love that about you. Super positive energy. I, I'm sure that your team is just energized when you walk around. <laughs> so I, I you love know, that. I think I think everyone except Alex. Alex can't stand me. He thinks I'm <laughs> too high energy. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You can feel that. You could uh, that you can feel that on the brand. I love it. Let me ask you this. So at this stage in your life. Is there, if you could call your 21-year-old self, or let's say, how old were you coming out of LSU? Probably, what, 22, 23, something like that? Or somewhere around there. Yeah, If you you could call him, if you could call that guy and give him any advice, what would you tell him? Yeah, you know, I've thought about it a lot, and I think think it should be a book. I think people like me should get together and write a book for Mm -hmm. for our our 23- or 24-year-old selves. Um, I would say be patient. I was way too impatient at the okay. time. Okay. And you know, I remember, I remember going into GE and thinking, you know, I want to, well, I went in thinking I was going to be there two years, but I, I kind of went in thinking, 
you know, I, I want to learn as, as much as I can, as fast as I can and get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I would say is slow down um, at that point in your career. I think looking back, the 20s is the most significant opportunity to learn. Mm. It's the most significant opportunity to find mentors. It's, it's an amazing opportunity to observe kind of how businesses work. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not in a role at, at that point in your career that unless you've started a company and you're in this like crazy minority, but let's, let's talk about the majority of the market at in your twenties, you're, you're really in a place where you're supporting a team yep. and you, you're in this position where you can learn and, and you can grow and you can see things and learn from things. I would tell myself, be patient, know that there will be a time where you're going to use all of these tools, Great advice. And develop as much as you can take as much opportunity to diversify your skill set take those positions that are the ones nobody wants mm-hmm. find mentors who are true mentors not not fake mentors who you think are going to help you get promoted but people who can help you be a better person mm-hmm. like find those people and 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 grow and know that you're going to spend a decade doing that mm-hmm. and then in your 30s then you can start pivoting to being more of a leader and and taking on more leadership yep. responsibility and building off of what you did. I, you know, I, I think, love it. I, you know, and you know this because you talk to them. I'm sure people who listen in on this know this. There are too many 20 year olds who are moving way too fast in their mind mm-hmm. who don't understand the value of seeing how things work and listening. They don't understand the value of listening right. and, and surrounding themselves with mentors who who can help them that can really help them that have been through all the different experiences, whether it's how to manage a certain personality or whatever. I still, you know, even, I still do that today, even at the age of 52. If I'm at a social event or whatever, and I'm around a 72-year-old, 75-year-old, I, even today, I just, I just listen. I just ask yeah. some questions, and I want to listen because whatever it is I think I'm going through, they've already been through it. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's really know, important to listen. That's exactly right. I mean, you think about leadership, you think about inter- interpersonal relationships. I mean, you know, now you can hide behind a, a text or you can hide behind right. technology. Um, you know, the, these individuals did business at a time where um, you, you didn't have those That's tools right. to make life easier, where you have automated email flows and, you know, all this BS that <laughs> isn't real. And so, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, I think there's power in every phase. I think, and by the way, I would tell you know, myself now, and I do every day that I can learn from 20 year olds, right? And so, so I think that the power is the knowledge and the awareness and, 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 and I'll tie back to it, but this concept of diversity of thought, and, and it's so important. And if you can embrace that earlier on, if you can be inclusive, you know, you mentioned your kids are athletes, I'm sure their natural instinct isn't to be inclusive. But there's so much power in inclusiveness. And, you know, sadly in school, and by the way, I talk about this all the time, what we do is we surround ourselves by people who look like us, think like us, act like us, and we never get anything done. And we wonder why every time we produce these projects, they all look the same. Um, you've got to break outside of that. So I, I love that question. I actually think someone should write a book that, that talks to people about, you know, if you could go back, what would you tell yourself and how would you, how would you kind of calm yourself down in, in that moment? One last, one last question, and probably cool. my, fav- my favorite is, 
so a mentor of mine, speaking of mentors, he challenged me with, with this one. We were having a glass of wine on the back deck one afternoon, and he said, uh, he said Steve, what, what's your core purpose? <laughs> and, you know, I did the whole, you know, I want to make the world a better place. I want to take care of my family. I answered the way most people would answer, you know, on the spot. Uh, without having a chance to really think it through. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, everybody says, okay, take care of your family, make the world a better place. Yeah, that's cool. Let's go deeper than that. <laughs> and yeah. he really challenged me, you know, and he said, uh, he said, no, 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 no. What, what, what's your real core purpose when you wake up? And yeah, I drove home and I remember walking home that day and I walked into the, the kitchen and my wife's like, what's wrong with you? You seem like you're upset. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm upset. I'm, I'm 50 years old. I don't know what my core purpose is. That's what's wrong. (laughs) I want to hear what your core purpose is now. Well, so, so I tried to tie it. I thought weeks and weeks on it and I wanted to tie it back to what I enjoyed doing for a living professionally. Uh, How could I tie the, my personal desires to my professional goals? And now I believe my core purpose is to help people find professional happiness. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and that ties to what we, right, what RiderFlex does for a living, right? We were, a recruiting, yeah. we, were, we were a recruiting firm, and so we place candidates right. you know, in the right jobs. And so I, that's what I want to do is I want to help people find professional happiness by placing them in the right cultures and in the right companies. Yeah. Well, look, I, I love it. And, you know, the, 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 the times that we've talked and as I've gotten to know you, I, I love hearing that because I think you're really good, obviously, at connecting with people. And listening, and I think that is arguably um, the most important part. I think, you know, it's it's funny you you bring up the core purpose thing, and and here here's what I would say. I and and I, you know, I'm kind of hit with it like you were. I'm picturing, you know, if I had a glass of wine and we we're on the back deck, <laughs> I'm, I'm now hit with it. But you know, here's what I would say. I, I think that my grandmother, as an example, was young. And, and, you know, I, I, I always butcher the age, but under 20. Okay. And she, as I mentioned, went through Russia and Japan mm-hmm. and came to the U S and had nothing. Mm-hmm. And there was an ecosystem that allowed her to be a part of this country, to grow in this country and ultimately to have a family here. And, you know, I was lucky in that I was born here and have had tremendous opportunity in the United States. You know, we talked about my career and all the things that have been great that have happened to me. And I really, as, as you said that the, the first thing that came to me was, you know, my purpose is really making sure that my grandmother who is living in the world today in a different form, right? This, this person who's trying to find a place, I want to make sure that if they choose the U S that they have the same opportunities that she had. Mm, that's good. And, and that's so, good. you know, really it, it, it is much broader than what I do at Truman's, but mm-hmm. you know, the reality is when I was sitting at her funeral a few years ago and it was an interfaith ceremony with hundreds of people there, I looked across the room and thought at her point later in life, she impacted these people in a positive way but you can't even count the number of people who were right. impacted by par- those people as, right. as part of her family. And it was only because we had the system set up to allow for people that were in her situation 
to find their way to the U.S. and then start a family. And so, you know, we've done, my wife and I have done work to support people who have come to the U.S. and to give them an ecosystem. Um, but I really think that that's, that's awesome. critical and that's so important because, you know, look, you know, we talked about it. I'm just a normal dude who just happened to have a, a great career and, and take some leaps and, and, you know, who tends to look at the world in a positive way but wants to do good while doing it. Um, if that ecosystem didn't exist, who knows mm. what my situation would be. Mm. And so, um, you know, I think we need to pay it forward in that way. And we need to think about the fact that the people who are coming into the U.S. today mm. are our grandparents. Mm-hmm. I and, love it. I love it. You want to contribute. You want to contribute to that same ecosystem. I love that's it. Right. That's right. You know, and, and so, you know, and, and I think that that's probably the most authentic way I can I can answer that I question. Love it. Your, gra- think- your grandmother obviously had a major effect on you. <laughs> well, I think, I think the journey, right. I think, I think it's, it's, it's the journey and I think it's, it's a deep appreciation of, you know, how lucky we have it. You know, when I look at my son and, and the, the conundrum is how, how does he, how does he understand right. you know, in the world of having iP- iPads and, you know, on demand Netflix, <laughs> you know, like in a world of anything you want is there, right. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you even comprehend that you had family members a few generations ago, right? We're not right. talking like, we're not talking no. so yep. long ago. It's that, not that long ago. Right, right, it's really right. not that long ago. <laughs> with nothing, with nothing. And I so, know. you know, that's, that's what I think we need to, we need to all pause and kind of, you know, take a step back. And, and it's, you I know, it. what I loved about this conversation is, you know, it's so connected because, mm-hmm. you know, you ask about, you know, the people that you work with taking that leap of faith. Think about it. The, our, our grandparents took a leap of faith by coming to a country where they didn't speak the language, where they had no money, you know, and here right. we are thinking, do I leave for a $200,000 job or do I stay? Oh my gosh. It's so funny when you, yeah, when you say it like that, wow. Yeah. When you <laughs> think about that. Holy cow. Well, John, hey, right, great conversation. Really. Yeah. Uh, c- congratulations on everything you guys are doing at Truman's love the story, love the product. Um, by the way, so if, if anybody wants to order it now, it, it just Truman's.com. Is that what they do? Yeah. Truman's.com. We, can, we just check us out. Um, you, you can buy a, a starter kit. Um, okay. risk-free. we have people who chat with you all day long. Um, they love to chat. So feel free to interact with them and, and check uh, out the, check out the brand on the social media too, you know, Facebook and, uh, what Instagram, I think. And, and Twitter. Uh, I'm on, and I'm Twitter, very Twitter. active on Twitter, which is okay. I mean, really, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a social media fan, check, check Truman's out there too. It's really awesome stuff. So congrats, my friend. Thank you. Thank, so, you. thank you so much for your time. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. The Riderflex podcast can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com slash podcast to learn more about us and become a supporter of the show. Send your comments and suggestions for future topics to the email address podcast at riderflex.com or leave us a voicemail at 888-964-5876 extension 710. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.